Welcome to Discastia, a podcast for parents and teachers about the best way to support kids living with learning difficulties. I'm Michael Shanahan. And I'm Bill Hansberry. And today we're talking about what's changing in schools around reading. But before we start, we want to acknowledge that we're casting to you today from the traditional lands of the Ghana people. And we uh, would like to pay respects to their elders past, present and future and uh, acknowledge their deep connection to the land that we are on today, Michael. Absolutely. So here we go. There's a big question because we get this question a lot from parents And things have really changed in the world of reading, particularly in South Australia. So what is it that people need to know about these changes in teaching reading, Bill? Well, I guess um, there's a context to this, Michael. Yes, you and I do get asked, and schools right now who have changed how they teach reading to be in line with about 30 years uh, consensus of scientific evidence about how the brain learns to read, the schools that are making this change now are having parents ask them, um, particularly parents who have a younger one in, say, reception or year one, and they've got an older one who may be at the other end of primary school and they're noticing a difference, right? Mm. So so what's changing? Well, uh, so how how did it how did it used to be? So, oh, okay, that's so probably what, a good place to start. What is it that people would be used to seeing? So yeah. if they're a teacher or a parent, what's been kind of the status quo up to now? The status quo, well, it, it's a really good question, not not a, a very straightforward answer without, uh, because not being nuanced in this can end up being insulting to certain people, but here mm. we go anyway. Um, there's this ideolo- ideology uh, around how we should be teaching reading, and it's pretty much dominated in Australia and other developed countries for a really long time. Mm. Uh, some people call it whole language, some people call it whole words, some people call it balanced literacy, which was an attempt to balance out this other way based on whole words with phonics teaching, really mm. structured, sequenced teaching of what we call the code, mm. which letters match to which sounds. So um, in the 70s, 80s and well into the 90s and in a lot of schools now in Australia, and some people will still argue most schools, the teaching of reading is based on this idea that children learn to read words by memorising whole words, right? Mm. And it goes, it harks back to uh, basically knowing how children learn to speak. So we know that uh, when kids are born, unless there's a there's a language disorder uh, evident, and there is for lots of kids, but for lots of kids there isn't. Unless mm. there's a language issue, children learn to speak just by being around people who speak their native tongue. Yep. So there are regions in the brain ready and raring to learn language, spoken language, to understand it and to speak it and to, to make words. Mm. Okay, so that's that's natural. That is inbuilt. Yep. There is no hardware in the brain to learn to read, uh, to learn to read, or for that matter, to learn to spell. Yeah, there is because n- it's like a technology, isn't it? it that's we, a really good. We, we yeah. can't. We're not born knowing how to type on a keyboard. That's exactly right. Right. So this is what some people refer to as biologically secondary knowledge. Mm. It's it's stuff that we've got to put in. So the 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 logical fallacy that went was okay. We know that if we immerse children in spoken language, they will just learn to speak. Mm. Okay, so before we could watch the brain while it reads, and we can now, thanks to technology like fMRI and all sorts of other really sensitive scanning technologies, before that, 
that that idea that children learn to speak just by being around speakers translated over to reading. We had this idea that, well, if kids just learn to speak by being around speakers, they will learn to read if we immerse them in the in the printed word. Yeah. And they will just soak it up. Yes. That turns out to be absolutely wrong. In, in fact, it couldn't be further from the truth. Mm. It's interesting, though, because it did catch on. Yes. And it probably caught on because, and I imagine this is still the case, mm. for a portion of kids, they do quickly yes. learn to read. So there are a good probably 30% of kids that will learn to read even if we don't teach them. Yeah. Like they're just such good language and phonological processes yes. that they do actually kind of pick it up. And so it's easy to say, okay, well, look, it's working. These kids are all learning to read and we, because we've taken this approach. But from my understanding, the problem is if you're not one of those lucky kids, yeah. this approach can actually make it harder for you. Yes. Um, Nancy Young has put together this model called the Ladder of Reading, and that outlines which percentage of kids will learn to read in a whole language or whole word environment uh regardless of how it's taught. Yeah. Those of, look, I, I use an example. If you've read To Kill a Mockingbird or seen the story, Scout in To Kill a Mockingbird talks about how she just learned to read by sitting on her dad Atticus's lap, yep. watching his finger go along the print. Yeah. So when I talk to teachers, I say, so we do have these kids, we call them the scouts, who yeah. regardless of how they're taught, they just magically soak it up. Yeah. So you watch these kids and you would go, oh, learning to read must be natural. Yeah, look, here's, here's the proof. And that's, you know, as people who, you know, as someone who comes up with a theory, I'm on the lookout for yeah. proof that my theory is correct. Yes, Because that's, that's right. how we operate as people, it's isn't it? confirmation bias, <laughs> isn't Confirmation bias, yeah. yeah. And so when I do it and I say, here's proof, it's working, and I've been doing it for years. So, Bill, what are you talking about? That's this right. does work. There's just kind of a bunch of lazy kids Oh, here we go. Yes. <laughs> Who don't work as hard. Yes. Or their parents didn't oh. read to them. Yes. And that's the problem. It's not the way I'm teaching. Yeah, yeah. And th But that's, I mean, I can yeah. totally understand why someone comes to that conclusion. Uh, I've got my hand in the air because that was, look, I didn't get taught in pre-service teacher education really anything about how mm. kids learn to read or yep. how to teach them, regardless yeah. of the system, right? Yep. Um. So where was I headed with this? Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the whole that's the whole reading history. Yes. And it, and it is, as you say, a bit of a well, it's kind of turned into a, a belief now, hasn't it? Yeah. Because the science has now shown that this is not actually the case. Even though it might look like it, yeah. this isn't the case. This isn't how it works. No, and you all you need to do is have a look at Australia's reading results. Um roughly still uh, a quarter of our year nines are at or below minimum reading standards. So you have a look at what we spend on education in Australia and then you have a look at our results, particularly compared with other developed or developed countries around mm. around reading proficiency. Uh, the 2011 PEARLS uh, study uh, had Australia ranked 27th, I think, right, behind, behind uh, all sorts of countries. We were bottom of all English-speaking countries. Now, there's been a few pearls since then, mm. um, but we haven't made the progress you'd expect. We haven't moved up that ladder in a way you'd expect when you have a look at what we spend on teaching mm. or what we spend on kids in schools. And what a privileged compared. country we are. Yeah, you'd that's expect right. us to be progressing further. So we've been massively underperforming, mm. right? Which is another little piece of evidence to say maybe this approach isn't working. Well, it's leaving too many kids behind, Michael. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, you've got your scouts. 
And then you've got you got this whole proportion of kids, uh, 40 to 50%, who get by with just a little bit of phonics teaching but primarily a whole language type of approach, right? Mm-hmm. But then you've got this really vulnerable set of kids and it's around 20%. And these are the kids where uh, dyslexia falls into this category yep. and perhaps other languaging, language processing difficulties. But you've got a fifth of kids who unless they get this highly structured code-based um, instruction by teachers who really understand how to teach it well, mm. these kids are left behind. And Mark LeMessurier referred to this as Australia's dirty little secret. Mm. Uh, the fact that in such a developed country, teachers like you and me just accepted the fact that one in five kids will leave our classroom probably having made no progress over mm. a year yeah. in, in their reading. And, can, and we didn't really know what to do about it, so we just kind of I mean, it's not to say that people were callous about it. No. It's that, well, but that, what do we do? You well, know what I mean? Right. Like, how do we fix this? Yes. For a period of time, we didn't know, but now we do know. Yeah, we do. Um, and I suppose this is the change, isn't it? It, it so is the, the change. The science yeah. is in. Well, it we has been in. Look, it has been in for a long time. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, this is not something that you can <clears throat> ever blame a single educator or even a school for, <clears throat> but education or teaching is notoriously slow for following research mm. and being heavily driven by ideology. Yeah. We reckon mm. ideas, uh, you know. So Mark Seidenberg puts this really well in a book called Language at the Speed of Sight. He's actually brutal mm. uh, around um, educational uh, or education settings inside of universities, educational faculties saying these folks are terrible when it comes to uh, aligning how we teach teachers Right around mm, yeah. uh, with the science of reading, yeah. And he says, so what is it? Where does this leave teachers? Well, um, you know, Pinterest, uh, the internet, uh, yeah. You know, and very vulnerable to all teachers sorts pay of teachers. To, yeah, well, it's, 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 well, don't <laughs> don't get me wrong. There's some good stuff on yeah, there. there. You is. just got to know what you want. Yes, yes. Yeah, so it leaves us very vulnerable to ideology. It makes us very vulnerable to um, instead of basing our practice in the evidence, going next door and going, Michael, how do you teach? kids to read heart words? How do you teach kids, you know, tricky words? Mm. And taking and me taking your advice on that yep. instead of um, having a look at what a 30-year, pretty much a 30-year consensus, consensus of yeah. evidence says about uh, how to teach this, which captures most kids. Yeah. yeah. And because a lot of that information is fairly inaccessible because it's very academic yeah. and technical yes. and it actually takes a lot of time to wade through and try oh. and understand it. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, and a teacher's job is incredibly stressful is. and busy. No, no, How do you take the time you out don't. to do that? No teacher's got time yeah. to wade through journals, right? Mm. And the thing with reading research, it doesn't just come from one field. It comes from linguistics, cognitive psychology, psychology, neuroscience, right? They're, to name a few. So mm. there are many, many different types of periodicals which um, publish you know, research on 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 reading, mm. right? Yeah. So there are so, these conduits. Yeah. So despite all this difficulty, so so rather than blaming individuals, which we're not, no, this is a circumstance. This is a set of circumstances yes. that have meant we haven't progressed as quickly as we could have, and things haven't improved as well as they could have. But I think what you're saying now is that things are finally taking yeah. off, and things are changing, and we are starting to follow the science. And this is where it gets a little bit confusing, isn't it? Because it, yes. getting back to where we started, 
parents and teachers might be noticing a shift in the landscape here. Yeah, yeah. And we're here to try and explain what's we happening. Are. That's right. <laughs> but you kind of need that bit of history yeah, and context. You, 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 you really do. So what's going on? Well, number one, let's talk about the type of reading material that's going home with littlies when they f- are first starting to learn at school, right? Yep. Once upon a time... These types of readers called levelled and predictable texts would go home. Now, Alison Clark has an excellent explainer on this. Uh, she's the Spellphabet lady from Victoria. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant yeah. set of resources. Fantastic website. The woman's a national yeah, treasure. Yeah, she's I would, great. I would encourage people to go and have a look at uh, a YouTube clip called What's Wrong with Levelled and Predictable Texts, or mm. it could be Predictable and Levelled Texts. Yeah, but she you'll find explains it. it beautifully, doesn't yes. she? So let's do this in a nutshell. We'll put, those in, we'll put that we in, will. The, in the yeah. notes. So... Um, What's, what was going home were uh, readers with sentences um, which were not what we call phonically controlled. So the sentences made up of words which were made up of letters that had not been explicitly taught yep. to kids in a classroom. So And, and quite difficult letter combinations. Yes, like, um, like give boat. Us a, yes, camel. Yeah. And now you might, <laughs> and a proficient reader will go, what's hard about boat and camel? Yeah. Well, you've got all the code. Yep. Right, you you have you have all the mental equipment that's been taught to you to to know that you know them by sight. Mm. You know the O A make actually makes an O sound. That's not, right. Not an O A. It's not bo at. That that's right, and it's not bo uh, b o t e boat. Mm. Right. So yeah. what we're do- what we're dipping into here is the complexity of the English orthography mm. or AKA our spelling system. Yep. So we have this complex spelling system. So we were sending we were sending home these readers. Look at the boat. Look at the swing. Look at the camel. You know, um, but without having taught explicitly the connections between the sounds those kids have in their heads and how they're represented by letters. Mm. So they would th- these readers would also have pictures. Yep. And they would have, as I alluded to, they would have this repetitive part of the sentence. Look at the boat. Look at the camel. Look at the swing. This is Lucy. This is Tom, for yep. instance, right? I'm not, And I'm not reading from anything. I'm just pumping it out of my head. Yes. So what that would get kids doing is it made a lot of youngsters look as if they're reading. Yep. Because of that highly repetitive part of the sentence. And then if they didn't know the word like boat, camel, swing, they would look at the picture. Yep. So what that so does. And yeah. I have. Living proof of this with my son. Yeah. Because we thought he was reading well. Because yes. we were parents that read every night before we went to bed. Yeah. We would read and we'd often read the same books. So it was quite repetitive. And I remember a time when my wife accidentally skipped a page. But he read the page that was that was skipped. He'd memorised it. We thought he was reading these yeah. books as yeah. we were flipping the pages. But when we flipped the page, he read... What was on the previous page? And was like, hold on a sec, <laughs> you're not reading this at all. You've just learnt it. So I'm interested, Michael, what happened next? Well, that was one of the triggers where we went to speak to the school and say, hey, well, we went a little bit further and we started trialling him on just reading random pages, you know, that he hadn't memorised yeah. and realised there was an issue here and went to speak to the school to say, oh, we don't think he's actually reading. He's just memorising this stuff. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, the school's response was, he's fine, don't worry about it, he'll grow out of it. That's how they all learn to read. (laughs) (laughs) Michael, I'm glad you kept telling that story with a bit of prompting because this is what is going on when these books go home. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, and what's been happening in all developed countries is, there's been this cohort of kids who have looked as if they're reading 
but they're actually not, mm. okay? They're using this approach uh, called contextual guessing um, or multi-queuing yep. or three-queuing, which, by the way, was for a long time an accepted model. It looks like a Venn diagram of three overlapping circles that says proficient readers take cues from... Uh, from context, from they take semantic cues. What's you know, where's the word in a sentence? Yep. What is it doing? And the bottom one is uh, phonic cues. But you see, the problem is in that Venn diagram, phonic is only one third of it. The rest of it is basically guess. Yep. So these kids, uh, our scouts, our very low percentage of kids who learn to read no matter what, that's fine. They move on. But what's going yep. on in their brain, Michael, is they are cottoning onto this thing called the alphabetic principle. Mm. They are um, on their own tuning into this insight that each of those letters represents a sound. Yep. Okay? Yep. Or sometimes a group of letters like O-A in boat yeah. represents a sound. And their brains are just wired that way that they get it. Well, it's yes, um, not to say that they were born with equipment ready no, to learn to no, read. that's right. But they do this job very easily. They, they, mm. they tune in on this idea that these squiggles on a page sound, stand for sounds and their brain then very quickly through an incredible statistical machine starts to make uh, solid bonds between those letters and groups of letters and sounds. So eventually they're storing words with ease and yep. eventually they're storing whole words with ease and eventually those words just pop off the page yep. because they have this incredible uh, sight word vocabulary and for all intents and purposes they look like and they are a proficient reader. Mm. Okay, but then we have about twenty percent of kids. Now people will shoot me on this because it might not. It's around twenty percent yep. of kids. No one knows because no one's done the research. Particularly, some, yeah. particularly in Australia, there's some research, but it's a bit fuzzy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, th- look, we kind of at the moment talk about this one fifth, you know, yep. uh, of kids who their brain doesn't do that, and it's based in how the how the brain processes speech sound, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you want to know more about this, look into the importance of phonological awareness to orthographic mapping. Okay, this is yep. this is where it'll take you. But there's this group of kids who don't get that insight. Yes. So what they're trying to do is store these words as pictures, or um, have attempts at these words uh, based on the context, the yep. words around it, or the picture. And so you get these, so these kids start making these lookalike errors, um, ghost for goat, horse for house, right, and teachers will be nodding their head right now yep. because they see it all the time. Yep. Or um, the picture will be something, the word will be entirely different, the picture's a goat, the word's house, and the kid reads goat. goat. yep. Okay? Yep. This is not. I see reading. it every day. Yeah, you do. No, no, because we're <laughs> yeah. both we're both specialists in this field, Michael. Yep. Yes. So these kids rely heavily on guessing. Yep. And it is not reading because that is not what a proficient reader does when they strike a word they don't know. Proficient readers fall back on what we call their phonic decoding, and they will very quickly sound it out based on their letter sound correspondences yep. that they have stored in their head. Yep. So this is our issue. These kids trick us. They look like they're reading until about year four. Mm. And the phenomenon is called the year four slump. Yep. It is well documented. And we, we finally find these kids out when they start reading more complex words, which will come with more complex reading material. Yes. Okay, words of two, three, four syllables with maybe some Latin and Greek kind of roots in them. Yep. And all of a sudden the kids that aren't decoding, that aren't linking the sounds in their head to those letters or groups of letters, they are found out. Mm. And everyone scratches their head and goes, well, this kid looks as though they were reading. Yep. And what gets said to worried parents is don't worry, it'll click. Mm. 
but it doesn't because these kids do not have, they have not been taught in a way to give them the tools they need to progress mm. from there. Mm. Yeah. And I've heard that year four slump described as kind of a transition from learning to read to, to reading, reading to learn. learn. And so while I'm learning to read, the guessing and the, you know, those strategies that I've developed to fake the fact that I'm reading yeah. work. But yes. now that I move into, okay, now here's a bit of text to read and you need to learn this on yeah, your own and yes. it's words that are unfamiliar that I haven't seen before, Yes, I go into a panic of yes. like, well, I can't understand this. So the impact isn't just on their reading but it's on all of their school performance because now they don't have the skills to self-teach. They, no, right. they can't read a book or a textbook and understand it. That's and exactly so it's, right. it's an even bigger impact than just on the reading. That's right, because all of a sudden there's this whole myriad of skills that have not automatised, mm. right, phonic decoding being one of them. So these kids uh, use up all their mental workspace on either trying to guess from context or trying to sound out and decode based on a pretty flimsy framework. Yep. They're using all their mental space for that so you can forget comprehension. Yes. You can forget free space in their brain to think about what they're reading, to monitor, is this making sense to me? So this is um, where this thing called the Matthew effect kicks in where those kids who are reading with ease, the rich get richer yep. and the kids who didn't get this type of instruction who needed it or didn't get the intervention, they're the poor and they get poorer because you've got this whole cohort of kids who the very act of reading is teaching them to read and you use the term self-teaching. Yep. The researcher is Cher, David Cher, I think, came up with this probably a decade ago. Mm. So there's a group of kids who are now self-teaching. The very act of reading new material is teaching them to read, but then you've mm. got this other And they understand it. They, they can read a They're piece away. of text in a textbook yep. and understand it and do their homework. They are away. Or, you know, yes. That's right. Yep. And the other kids, Michael, we know them very well. Yeah, we know them very well. My kids are like this. Yep. Even now in high school, even at university, my kids will come to me and with a textbook in hand and go, I have no idea what this says. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> they, they can read it. Yes. But there's no capacity in their brain for understanding because the reading part is so hard. Yes. And we've got to go through it together. Um, we only have limited workspace, Michael, yep. in our brain, you know, working memory. Um, mm -hmm. And if you've got a disorder, you're using everything around yeah. doing the letter sound matching stuff because yeah. you don't have a, you, these words are not stored and, and your brain is just not giving them to yeah. you. It's hard work. And, well, actually today my daughter had a PDF that she had to read and she just couldn't read it. She tried five, five or six times and nothing yeah. was going in. Yep. So we set it up on her computer to read it to her. Yes. And she's as happy as Larry. Yep. Like she, it just, the computer speaks it to her and now she totally gets it yes. and understands it because that capacity is freed up to just listen and understand. Absolutely. And there are, well, gee, Michael, three in 10 adults mm. will tell you that's my experience. Yep. Yep. Every day. Yes. And these people are in, are, are highly functioning members of our community. Yep. But I'll tell you this story. Yep. Okay. So we have this older approach yes. to teaching reading yes. that science has now shown has failed. Yes. Schools and institutions have been slow to change, but they are changing. We've had a history of these uh, readers coming home that are levelled readers. Yes. Um, where kids, you know, they have predictable pictures, predictable patterns and yep. predictable words. So yep. kids look like they're reading. Yes. Even if they're not. Yep. 
Um, but now that's changed. And so whereas those levelled readers would have been coming home with kids, mm -hmm. what's happening now? So now what change can we see? Schools are now sending home uh, a type of reader that we call phonically controlled or decodable or phonic readers, okay? So they come under these terms. And look, you explain this to anyone and they'll go, this makes perfect sense. So what happens now is a teacher may, in the first weeks of school, teach the letters S-A-T-P-I-N. We call it SATPIN yep. and it's a pretty good analogy for any controlled phonic sequence. So yep. the letter S making S, A making A, T making T, P making P. I making it. So notice with the two vowels, the A and the I, where they're only teaching the short sound of them. Yep. So they get taught in the classroom, okay? Yep. And, and those the, letters are chosen because they give you a lot of flexibility because they they're, they're the most, well, some of the most used letters. That's right. I think is, S starts more words than any other letter in the it. English language. Those, those phonic progressions, because that's what we call yep. it, um, were developed when um, people grabbed... Uh, the most regularly used words or the words you see in most sight word lists, but mm. really you're right. They are the letters and letter combinations that get kids reading as many words and spelling as many words as possible early on. Yeah, quickly. That's right. So the teachers taught SATPIN. So what goes home? Readers that only contain words that can be spelled from those, let those grapheme, phoneme or letter sound associations. Yep. So that's the only way you get kids not guessing. Now, so the problem is with that, Michael, is a parent who had a kid uh, who had the levelled and predictable text go home looks at these and goes, understandably says, wow, well, isn't this a come down? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to write a compelling story when you only have those those letters to That's work right. with. And There's only a limited yes. number of words you can use. And if you ever tried to write a phonically controlled passage, boy, oh, boy, that smacks you right between the eyes. It's hard work. The, liter the literary quality dies immediately. Mm. But hang on, I, this is a huge This is, a <laughs> this is one of the big of criticisms, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, so a kid with sat pin is reading words like is, sit, sat, it, tin. So, you Pat. know, you, you don't get war and peace out, <laughs> yeah. of, out of those words, do you? Stand. stand. No, you right. can't stand. have stand. No, no, That's yeah. got an A in it. <laughs> um, but you see, this is the only way we can get <clears throat> youngsters to trust Grapheme, phoneme, or letter sound mm. correspondences. And, and it gives them success. It does. Which is very important. Michael, I have never seen a child, um, particularly in our field, go, uh, gee, I'm disappointed with the literary quality. This doesn't have much mm. lexical depth, Michael. And no. Because they do. They know they're reading. Yeah. And these are the very skills we have to encourage. Yeah. What you actually see is the smile growing on their face. Yeah. Because for many of them, they're reading for the first time. Yes. Now, so the criticism. What are the criticisms? Criticisms of this, Michael. Number one, it looks far less sophisticated. Yep. Um, number two, um, parents go well. Look, the other part of this is developing kids' language, building yep. new vocabulary. Um, this won't do it. And you know what? They're dead right. Yeah. And the the knockers of this approach have this concern. They're not wrong, mm. but. You see, if you want a child to access better literacy uh, or literary content, you read to them. Yeah. So there's a difference between what you get the kids to read to you and what you read to them. So it's mm. really important that parents still grab 
the you know the, the really cool stories off the shelf mm. with those and levels. do the shared reading and do the shared reading. Yeah. But listen, don't get your kids to decode words that have sounds that they don't know yet. Now, if the child mm. wants to have a go, let them have a go, but correct them. Yeah. And you might go, oh, you haven't learned that one yet. Yep. Now, yeah. Now, yeah. And it's kind of like I understand that criticism, but I think it's taking the process out of context. Yeah. In that, you know, going back to the tennis analogy. Yes. You know, it's like taking your kid to a tennis coach and your tennis coach doesn't immediately say, okay, now do a full overhead serve. That's right. One of the most complicated things and just keep doing it until you can do it. Yeah. Actually, the first thing is how do you hold the racket? Correct. So this is the how do you hold the racket equivalent, isn't it? it? This is is. just like teaching the very basic skills. That's right. Because without these skills, without that proper racket grip, you're never going to be able to do a successful serve. So this isn't the end of the picture. No. This is just the very beginning of the code and how you understand it. And there is no doubt in the research, this is a consensus of evidence, right? And you don't get this in everything, but mm. there is no doubt that this way of teaching teaches more kids to learn to read and spell. Because I also have to add, the kids are also spelling with those, mm. yep. right? So, so this is the teaching of reading and spelling going together. This is mm. what happens in this highly structured way of and teaching. the blending of sounds. That's right. You know, so. It, it's it's not just that decodable reader. It's, no. It's a whole package there. And, I mean, I wonder if part of the criticism or, you know, reluctance to do this is a speed thing mm. because it feels really slow. Yeah, it does. Like it feels so slow that we're starting with these really basic words. You're tempted to make it more complicated and get them moving faster. But... I'm always surprised. You know, it feels really slow, but I'm always surprised how quickly following this, um, you know, structured Mm. process, how quickly actually those letter sounds build up. They do. And it gets quite complicated fairly quickly. It's just these early stages that seem seem a bit, you know, too restrictive, but... It's not like that forever. No, no, it's that's right. It's just the very beginning. It, it is the very beginning. Um, it, it's like slowly starting an engine, mm. you know, but it does build up very quickly because yeah. what happens is a student's got INP, very quickly their brain will start to see an INP and give them IP, yep. okay? And when um, SH is introduced, IP is already bonded, yep. so they've got SHIP. Yes. And then we talk about suffixes and they've got SHIPs. And then they've got shipping and shipment. And mm. so so what the brain is doing when we teach this way is um, bonding these sounds in the head, these sound combinations to combinations of letters and things just build up. Yep. So, look, the, I've really poorly started to explain a process <laughs> called orthographic <laughs> yeah. mapping or bonding, but this is what goes on and that's what makes it take off. Mm. Now, this captures far, far more kids. Yep. It leaves far fewer behind, but we have to acknowledge there are kids who will still need intervention. Yes. But schools that teach this way to this tightly structured and sequenced method have far less kids who need intervention. Mm. But that intervention isn't doing anything different. No. It's just giving them more time yes. and more repetitions more of the repetitions. same thing because they need that to get it to stick. That's right, because of that that subtle difference in the way their brain is dealing with sounds mm. and being able to pull sounds apart. And you may need to address, you know, with those kids where it's not working, you may need to go and address 
what position is your mouth in when you're making that s sound? That's right. Because, because it, they yeah. may not even be making that sound. Exactly. Because that's a tricky one to yes. make. So if you can't make that sound, you can't hear it in a word, you like the whole thing gets muddy. So it does. You know, the intervention isn't anything different. Yes. But it might just be breaking it down even further to yes. even smaller skills that they might not have. Michael, I'm glad you went there because this all begins with sounds. Mm. Our alphabet, A through to Z, is a Phoenician alphabet. We have a spelling system that is based on linking sounds, speech sounds, to squiggles on a page, mm. right? So when you think about it that way, what other way would you teach reading and spelling other than putting sounds and their connection to letters at the very middle of it. Mm, yeah, exactly. It, it, it's it seems common mm. sense. And understanding, and this is something that I don't think many kids understand, it's the sounds that come first. Yes. And the writing is a record of the sound. Correct. But I find kids tend to sometimes look at it the other way around and yes. they think, you know, I'm speaking like this yes. because that's how it's written. Yes. You know what I mean? And, yes. that, and it gets quite confusing when you think about it like that because, uh, you know, kids don't think about accents. No. You know, just talking about the fact that we have a slightly different accent. and that's that, right. So that's why that word doesn't quite make that proper at sound. Yeah. We make an R sound yes. instead because we're South Australian. Like it, it's complicated. Yes. And, and I think that kind of nitty-gritty nuance is what the intervention is. For those kids that are finding it really tough, yes. it's not that you're doing anything different, no. but it's that you're going into more detail at a slower pace yes. and more repetition to make it stick. Yes, and that detail is important because if your brain is not doing this really easy work with sounds, you need more hooks. Yep. You, need more, you need more concept to hang things on. So talking about the letter A making the sound R, in our system we know that it'll probably do it in front of an S, an F or a TH, right? Mm. So like in bath or ask, okay? Yep. We teach our kids that, whereas other kids, our scouts who are flying along, just kind of statistically store that letter string and know A makes R there. Yeah, and for them it's just like, yeah, whatever, like... Yeah. I, uh, totally accept it and just get it and just automatically know that that's making an R sound there that's, without necessarily having to think it through. That's right. So people might be listening and going, okay, so there is this highly detailed way of teaching, do all of our kids need it, and are we slowing down our scouts mm. uh, if we teach it to all of them? Yeah. I really want to stress something, and it's a saying that it's true, this type of teaching is helpful to all and harmful to none. Absolutely. So I'm working indirectly with a lot of schools who have implemented this, this phonological awareness training in their early years yep. and the structured synthetic phonics, this nothing left to, left to chance, and boy, oh, boy, have these teachers had to go to work on their own knowledge mm. around our spelling system and its rules and generalisations. Because they're probably, most of them probably scouts. That's Most well, of yes. them are probably people who have ended up teaching because they find this stuff easy and love That's it. That's right. And they're experts at it. Yes. And so exactly it's right. kind of hard for them to understand that someone could even struggle with it. Yeah, that's right. If you, They say that um, gifted sports people can make the worst coaches, <laughs> in, in, you know, because they, it just came so naturally. You yes. Know? So, yeah, you're right. So, um, so in these, well, so these schools are noticing when they look at their data, number one, they are picking up 
that vulnerable cohort of kids. Their results yep. are much, much better. So it's doing no harm. It's doing no yes. harm. It's also seeing the scouts develop faster as well. Oh, okay. So if you imagine a distribution, now I'm picturing in my mind a, um, a box plot. Now, some of you yeah. know what a box plot is. So, you, so You're some, holding your hands. I'm holding my <laughs> box plot. So I've got yeah. my, my upper and my lower limits and yep. the whole the, thing moves Everyone up. moves up. It picks up all yeah. kids. It makes so our strong kids. even the kids that are scouts yeah. and good improve. Yes, they do. They do. So you can – I think we just need to forget that this is leaving – um, our our scouts behind. Yep. It is not. It is bringing depth, um, greater understanding about our system hmm. uh, through the teaching of morphology, right, which comes yep. in after the phonography, right, or the phonology, uh, giving them far greater depth in how our language works. And these kids, their vocabularies explode. Mm. Um, nothing's left to chance, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. A, yeah. And, and in a classroom, you know, when you're teaching in a classroom, in any classroom, you're catering for kids that are struggling and kids that are excelling. It's and, a broad you know, spread. You, you give them extension exercises. Yes. So, yes, you introduce the basics to them, but if they're a scout and they're well beyond those basics, mm. you can give them an extension exercise at the same time as giving something a little more intensive to the kids that need the support. So, yeah. it doesn't, it's not totally vanilla delivery of the information to mm, the group mm. you know there still can be variation within a class there, there can be which is um now we're into differentiation right mm. and i've got some i've got some views on this in my blog and probably disagreed with by a lot but um this is why we have intervention michael this is one of the reasons there are kids who are going to need to be taught in a different setting to at this different pace with these with, with these far more exposures mm. and this far finer grain teaching right yeah. And that'll have to happen out of a classroom. But you're right. They're still being taught, taught the same code. And we can catch a lot of these kids up yep. with an evidence-based intervention. Not all of them, Michael, yes. but a lot more of them than we otherwise could. Yep. However, um, in these classrooms, we actually can teach the same content to the whole class. Yep. Um, they will engage at different levels and may need to be assessed at different levels. Mm. But when we get this fundamental base teaching right... Um, we don't have to be pitching to so many different mm -hmm. levels in the first place. Now, yep. differentiation is important, but I would argue that the current thrust on differentiation has come about because of pretty shoddy teaching earlier on, which has generated such a broad span uh, okay. of ability. Yep. So this is this ends up being a cyclical or cyclical argument, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. But look, that's now that's just my take on this. Mm. Um, there's a model of teaching called explicit direct instruction, which is yep. a which is a trademark type of teaching, um, yep. which a lot of schools are picking up, and that argues this that we shouldn't hold our kids who are a bit further behind away from the basic content, because if we teach it well enough in the in the beginning, we can teach them all a certain bit, mm. but then branch out from there. Yeah, and that's what I was thinking of when yeah. I was describing it. I was thinking, yes. You deliver that piece of information. It's hard to think of an example, but, you know, here's the chunk. We're doing the letter sound f yep. today. Yep. We all practice how to write it. Yes. We all practice how to make that sound. Yes. You know, we might talk about voice and unvoice, f and v. Yep. You know, so everyone gets that chunk of information. Yes. It may be that the kids who find that more difficult 
have a worksheet or something that they're working on that focuses just on the sound because yep. that's what they need to work on. Yep. But the kids who are the scouts and have just got it might now be reading a decodable reader with the letter F in that's it right. straight away. So that's the kind of differentiation I'm thinking of. Not, yes. not that you've got to teach no. something different, no. but you might have an extension activity for a kid yes. that finds it easier. Yes, that's right. There's so many ways you can go with the letter F. You know, mm. we can be teaching some kids that if we suffix a word like loaf that ends in ES, the, the F makes a V sound, right? Mm. There's also the rule about um, double F after a short vowel on the on the end of a one-syllable mm. word like buff yep. or cuff. Mm. So so just that simple that simple consonant or that, that sound F with a consonant F mm. has a number of layers and levels yeah. to it. But you're yep. right, you can differentiate that way. Um, but eventually we need to teach all of the kids yeah. those well, nuances. Everyone still needs to get the basic That's instruction. Right. Yeah. You still need to know how to hold a racket. This is a great analogy. you still yeah. need to be reminded, even a professional tennis player who's now serving double faults all the time, their experienced coach will come to them and say, hey, you've, you're not, you've lost your grip. Yes. Your grip's shifted. Or your ball toss yeah. is not high enough. <laughs> and they'll go, oh. Thank you. Yes. You know what I mean? It often does come down to the basics. You know, it, it does. You'll see professional athletes mouthing to themselves, watch the ball. Yep. Follow through. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it, basically in a nutshell, this is a style of teaching that leaves pretty much nothing to chance. Hmm. It is a whole part whole type of teaching that says this is a skill Fine, fine, you know, proficient reading is made up of many, many com sub-component yeah. parts. So let's have a look at what do you mean by whole part whole? Because that's I, that's a, an education term, isn't it? Well, you and I know term. what it means. Yeah, 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 me too. Yeah. Well, it's just, well, it's actually a skill learning because apart from being a PE teacher, I spent some time doing train the trainer. So it was like training people to be trainers. Yes. And whole part whole is part of that just basic skill training package yes, yes. of this is how you teach someone a new skill. And it's basically yeah. you show them the whole skill. Yes. Then you show them the individual parts that yes. are needed to make up that skill. That's right. They practice the individual parts. They put them back together as a whole. So it's whole part whole. When you said putting them back together, mm -hmm. you will hear the term synthetic phonics. Yep. Okay. And, and and I'm glad you said that because we are teaching these kids, you look at the word sit, its parts are s, i, t, right? Um, we are teaching kids to synthesize yep. those three letters and those three sounds together. So, so there's the whole part whole. There's, yes, that's right. The Some word people, sit and then the parts yeah. and then the whole. Some people would argue in structured synthetic phonics, it's probably part, 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 whole. You know, <laughs> yeah, if you want yeah. to be really. Yep. But yes, it's this, it's this break it into its component parts and then synthesize them back together. A whole part, whole might be categorized as analytic phonics, mm. which is not as, not as, doesn't, doesn't have the, uh, the efficacy of structured synthetic, but analytics might, might say, let's look at sit. Now, only if we have to, let's break it into it. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's really, I think, structured structured synthetic phonics is probably better explained part, uh, part, 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 whole. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you know, here, are, yeah. here are the individual things you need yeah. and now here's how to put them together. That's right. So if you're a parent, yeah, watch watch next time your kid is on the tennis court or anywhere else in a sporting area getting really good instruction about a skill and then think about how they're these decodables and it's not, it's not a hard thing to connect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, riding a bike.
Yeah, that's right. You know, you start with training wheels. That's good. That's <laughs> spot on. Yeah. <laughs> then you held. That's right. You held. So these, you know, these first sat pin readers are really the equivalent to training wheels or holding onto the seat while the kid's learning to ride. Yeah. Because they're not ready yet. No, the word and scaffolding you suddenly, comes to mind. you know, chuck a book at them. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna fall off. They're, or they'll guess. They'll guess away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It'll be sad as said. Yeah, house as horse. Yeah, or house for goat, or goat for horse, or yeah. you know what I mean. It's, yeah, and, and a lot of parents will nod their head. They've seen this. Mm. It's not reading. Yeah, and the problem I find with the guessing is that kid. These kids are smart. Yeah. So there isn't any problem here with them getting actually a, doing a really good job of guessing from context. No, no. So they're really good guesses yes. and they practice it and they get success with it and then that becomes a very hard habit to break. Yeah. To say to a kid who is reading, you know, who has already got issues around reading and yes. they're, they're hyper aware of the fact that they're not reading well, the last thing they want to do is slow down. That's right. But that's what they really need to do in those initial stages. They need to slow down and actually read what's there. Yeah. But that's a really tough thing to get a kid to stop guessing. It is. It's 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 like me saying to you, Michael, look, mate, sorry, walking forwards is not right. You have to walk backwards everywhere now. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a really poor terminology. And as soon as you're not looking at me, I'm going to turn around and walk forwards. Yeah, or if I, my friends are looking at me, I'm yeah, going to walk forwards. Or I right. have to read in front of the class, <laughs> I'm going to start guessing because I don't want to look like a fool. No, that's right. And so what we're saying here is that this change mm. that's coming about hopefully avoids the habitual guessing that is encouraged and taught through yes. that whole word yes. process. I mean, is that? Is that one of the worst part, the worst things that comes of it? Like as a, as a, apart from the fact that, you know, it's difficult to read and, mm -hmm. you know, you don't learn to read, mm -hmm. I kind of think this habitual guessing mm -hmm. is a real bugbear of mine because, you know, as someone who works with these kids a lot, it's a really tough nut to crack for me. It like that, it, it, it's hard to get the kid to think differently and stop that guessing. And yes. I talk to the kids a lot about it and they see when they're doing it, mm -hmm. but they can't help it because it's so habituated. I, um, it, you know, they yeah. know they're doing it, but they can't help it. it, it I, I, um, I've recently graduated a young lad, a beautiful kid, um, who even at the end, um, and he went on to high school and the parents and I made the decision, we'll, 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 we'll take our gains, right? At the very end, this youngster uh, was still guessing more than I wanted. And I said to him, I said, mate, did you have a teacher anywhere along the line who said to you, read faster, read faster? And he said, yes. I was, and and he, he then recalled this with complete clarity. He said, I was in year three, I think. Uh, we had a visiting teacher. My teacher went to have a baby and we had this other teacher and she would always tell me off and say, read faster because if you're not reading a certain amount of words a minute, you can't go up a next level. Mm. Okay? Yep. So, and that was incredibly hard to undo, that panicked mm. horse for house, 
uh, adding of is quickly adding in words or taking out short function words to uh, to fit a context that you're building in your head that it yep. actually isn't in the print. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for some kids, they can get over it with a bit of good instruction once they start to trust mm. the grapheme phoneme mm-hmm. correspondences again. Yeah. And some kids are just really heavily in it. Yeah, it's hard, to yeah. Pull them out. it's hard to pull them out. And so this new approach will hopefully stop some of that happening because we won't be actively encouraging them to guess as a strategy. Yeah. But we'll be taking them through step by step. And I might argue this very old approach, Michael, because uh, the grandparents of these kids, primary school age kids now, or maybe their parents, will remember heavy duty phonics teaching mm. in primary school, albeit with the cane and other things that weren't so cool. <laughs> But um, phonics was how um, this was taught. Oh, gee, probably trying to think when whole language really took off in seventies. Seventies, but before that's when I was at primary school. Yeah, yeah, I definitely had whole whole language. So did I. Yeah, what was it, Dick and Jane? Dick and Jane, and yeah. Yeah, Pam, Sam, and Digger. I'm trying to work out whether that was phonically regular. I don't know, but yes, it was. It was. It was part of the furniture. Mm. And, and and you talk to people who taught before this and mm. they said uh, when this whole language stuff came in and it swept in, right, mm. um, a lot of them said I kept teaching phonics but when the principal walked into the room I stopped. Mm. But I knew it was getting better results but yep. I would be chastised for teaching mm. it. So it's kind of like the, ex- the whole word experiment has yeah. run its course and, and now we're back to... Where we were before that experiment started. You could, well, well, you could look at it that with way. With a much more sophisticated understanding well, of it. Well, an understanding now. of why it works. Yeah. So, you know, you look at um, people who are, who are theorising disorders in reading, people like Samuel Orton. This mm. is where Orton Gillingham or OG comes from. Yeah. Samuel Orton in the 40s uh, recognised this group of kids who were struggling, he he came up with this term strethosymbolia, which was letter blindness or <laughs> congenital word blindness. Um, but Orton knew there was this cohort of kids who were very bright who were not locking in the code. Mm. So you look back way, way back, you know, we're talking we're talking half centuries, almost a century now. Yeah. Um, this method of remediation for these kids was heavily code-based. It was phonics on steroids, yep. just like what we do now is. So the intervention, the effective intervention for reading difficulties has never changed. Mm. But for some reason, the global teaching of reading and spelling did. Well, look, if you can't. If you can't match letters to sounds, you're sunk for spelling it. You yeah. Know? Even in a complex, sometimes irregular orthography like ours, it all starts with sounds. Think about the word yacht. Yep. Y-A-C-H-T. Looks like yacked or yatched. It's still two-thirds regular, Michael. Yeah. A Y always makes a Y or a Y sound. Yeah. A T will always make a T. It's just this A-C-H in the yep. middle. Um, that is my, that is has so you know people will go why do we teach this because you get these irregularities in words well it's not that bad mm. yeah that's right <laughs> it's really not and that if bad. you are, and if you do understand the history of that I find that that actually gives kids who struggle a real hook because it once in in its because language they, of origin they actually remember that story yeah the yacht oh, oh, yeah. I have by coincidence just yes. a couple of weeks ago I did this word with one of my students, and she thought it was brilliant. Yes. And, and now she just says, yuck, yuck, yuck. And that's how she remembers it, and she yeah. thinks it's funny. Yes. And now that word is just no longer a problem. That's right. Because she gets it. Or said was once pronounced said, yeah. and I said to him. Mm. You know, or the reg- the spelling of two, T-W-O. 
comes from twin and twix like we were talking yeah. about last time. Yes. You know, there are these yep. reasons. Our spelling system was pretty well thought out. Mm. Yeah. We just need to teach it. Yeah. And so getting back to what, what we wanted to talk yeah. about today, yeah. um, what's what's the message we're trying to get across here about this change? It's a positive yeah. change. It, it is a positive change. Um, from the outside, it looks like a dumbing down or a winding back. Mm. Um Schools are having uncomfortable conversations with parents saying, uh, we're actually teaching it a lot better now. Really uh, sorry about your older one. So there's some pushback from parents here on um, this? More questions. Right. Um, what's going on here? Why does this look so different? And why didn't my 11 or 12-year-old get this? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, schools are kind of sometimes feeling quite red-faced. Mm. Uh, and I, there's no other way to be honest with your parents. You go, yeah. look, this is this is how we should have always been doing it. Mm. But this is not the fault of teachers. This was an this was a this was a, a, a this was the rage that swept through education, and it wasn't just in Australia. Mm. It was in developed English speaking countries, and you know, whole language took the world by storm. Mm. It was based on a very intuitive idea that kids learn to speak just by being around speakers. So mm. let's just put them around words and read to them lots and they'll yep. soak it up. And it really does feel like that's how we do it. Yeah. Like intuitively you think it's probably correct. It's only right. when you get down to the nitty-gritty and actually studying the science of it that yes. you go, oh, hold on a sec. You and, this and isn't quite what no, we thought it was. That's right because an, a, a, the person who reads with ease forgets how hard it was to learn to read. Mm. And when you read with ease, whole words are jumping off the page at you. Yep. Whole words. You're not decoding much unless you strike a word you don't know. Yep. So. Again, you get this logical fallacy, this intuitive idea that, well, I read whole words, mm. therefore we should be teaching whole words. Yep. But that is not understanding and not taking into account all of those processes that our brain went through to get there because mm. the brain was never, ever built to read. So if I'm a teacher yeah. and my parent is saying, so let's say you were this teacher, Bill, yeah. and I'm a parent coming and saying, why is this different? What are we saying to them? We can't. We, oh, what is it in a nutshell? Yeah. We can't say what we we can't okay. go over this last 30, no, we can't. thirty minutes. Uh, what should what should schools be saying to parents? Do you think they should be proactively communicating this? Perhaps? A lot of schools are. Yep. A lot of schools are getting right on the front foot, and some of them may use this. And if this helps their parents, brilliant, right? Yeah. But in a nutshell, um, this way of teaching that you're seeing now is has the weight of evidence behind it to date mm -hmm. um, and it leaves far fewer kids behind and it also teaches our stronger readers, uh, it teaches them better as well, so yep. it's not dumbing down. Um, big sigh. We should have been doing this all along. Mm. However, education broadly lost its way for a while. Yep. Um, but we now have... All of the evidence we need. Now, we don't exactly know how the brain reads, but we've got a pretty good idea, right? Um, this is what we know works best. Yeah. And, um, gee, we all wish we knew what we know now yeah. when we started teaching. Yep. There's really no other way around it. I don't mm. think we can spin and fluff our way around that fact that as a country, we got it wrong for about 30 years, mm. you know? Yes. I don't know how else we broached this. Yeah. And it left far too many kids behind. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what's this running records thing I hear of? So, I heard yeah. that running records 
is stopped. And was that running records part of this yes. um, leveled reader yes. um, historical process? Yeah. Running records was a way of assessing kids' reading based on the idea that our good readers, when they strike unfamiliar words, will guess from context or mm. picture. In fact, that's what was assessed. Mm. Can a student do this? Do they go back on this three-queuing skill set when they don't know yep. how to do it? And so, so that's good how kids will put up levels. Yes, that's right. So if your kid, you know, was reading level one, yep. they would have a running record test yes. done on them. Teacher would observe them reading yep. with a with a really detailed check chart. Yeah. Are and, they doing this? Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, the things on that teacher check chart were not supported by evidence. Those yep. those attack strategies yep. were not evidence. In fact, they're damaging. If mm. we teach kids to do that, we damage their yep. reading, Some, sometimes irreparably. Yep. Yeah. And so then they would go up a level. They would go up a and level. And that would be the celebration. Yes. Yes, you moved I'm, up. I've moved up. My reading has improved. Yeah. But what we're saying now is, hmm, not necessarily. No. Um, <laughs> again, our scouts, <laughs> off they went. Yeah. But what their brain was doing was storing letter sound correspondences. Yeah. Yep. They were mapping one out of five kids were not. Yeah. Because all they had is the context, the picture. And they were the kids we were seeing in this year four slump. Yeah. Right? And it's too many. I think anyone listening would agree one in five kids who does not become a proficient reader by an adult, it's not good enough mm. in a country like Australia. It just isn't. Mm. You know, and I don't think anyone would argue, no matter where your kid sits on that spectrum of um, ableness to learn to read. Yeah. Yeah. And so what have we got as an alternative now? Because there's something quite nice as a parent mm. to be told, hey, I've gone up two levels. Yeah. And I often ha have parents coming here to me and saying, hey, you know, my kid went up a level yeah. and we congratulate them, you know, because you don't want to poo-poo that. Yeah. What's that being replaced with now? As a parent, mm. how do I know if my kid's doing better? What What is it we should be celebrating? Yeah, growth in reading age. Mm. You know, the problem with these levels, Michael, is they were assessment tools built into these programs, okay? Yep. So they weren't what we really need to be doing when we assess a kid's reading or spelling or comprehension or whatever is we need to be using um, normed assessments where they have assessed the skills of literally tens of thousands of kids put at a particular age, put ability on a bell curve, on a distribution. Yep. Right, worked out where the mean is. Yep. Worked out the standard deviations, and then we can and then we can assign reading ages to kids. You know, we can yep. say at chronological age thirteen, this kid is at reading age thirteen. They're going well. We need these well constructed assessments that say your child is in this percentile. Yep. For their age, or is it this, or is it this reading age? Percentiles clumsily convert to reading ages. Mm. They're not perfect, but that's really the only defensible way of. Um, giving feedback on a child's progression or progress. Mm. Um, not this not this small or no, you know, sample program within program yeah, stuff, yeah. which basically sold programs but, mm. you know, wasted a lot of potential. Mm. Yeah. Reinforcing itself. That's right. Along the way. That's right. Yeah, so a self-licking ice cream, Michael. Mm. The problem with those statistics and where we're talking bell curves and percentiles and so on is that most people probably have no idea what 
what you're talking about yeah, well, <laughs> when you right. talk about that. And so it's like as a parent, I go, huh? Um, I, I don't know. Like, but yeah. how do I know if my kid's improving? Well, that's like, right. So what do you do with levels? You go, well, um, Michael's kid's on level whatever and Charlotte's kid is on level whatever. Like you say, so, you know, we're always mm. doing this kind of measuring. Um, yeah. But uh, it's ineffective, it's damaging. Um, and by the way, you know, schools aren't going to be sharing data with. Mm. But you see, if we've got yeah. this reliable, if we've got this reliable yes. percentile stuff, you see, you know, what's the harm of explaining percentiles to parents? Yeah. Or if you're going to match it to age, Michael's a chronological age, seven years and five months. Mm. He's decoding a chronological age. Um, or seven, let's say he's 10. Michael's 10 years, five months. He's yep. decoding as a six-year-old. We know we've got a problem. We reliably yep. know we've got a problem. Yep. Okay? There's intervention needed yep. uh, two years ago. Yeah. But we'll start now. Yep. Yeah, that's right. In yeah. Instead of this, um, oh, well, I've seen lots of boys stay on level or whatever for a long time, but don't worry, it clicks. Mm. Yep. And I've been guilty of saying that yeah. before I knew better. Yeah. Mm. I find those ages tricky. Yeah. I find those ages tricky because- I think they're a little bit misunderstood. Yeah. And particularly for a kid to say to a 12-year-old kid, you're reading like a six-year-old, mm. is a bit of a bitter pill oh, you gotta word, <laughs> to you gotta present. Word it very you carefully. Know? Yeah. And yeah. so the ages are really tricky. Yeah. I find that kids and parents do understand percentiles. Yes. So, you know, yes. if you think of a percentile as there's 100 kids in the room. Your exact age. Yeah. Yep. Then, um, yeah, 100 kids, so, of, you know, thousands of kids around the world, your age, if they're all in a room, you'd be in the top 10%. Yeah, if you're at the 90th or above yeah. percentile. Yes, that's the, right. Yeah, if you're at the 90 or above. The sting is still the same, though. The sting's still the same, um, yeah. you, they, But these kids know they're struggling. Yeah, Michael, they, they, yeah. They're not. They're not. They're not oblivious to this. Mm. Um, because, but if we do quantify it, even if it's hard in the beginning, then they see their progress, Michael. We start working right. with them and they see things start to shift yeah. in non-word Your decoding. reading age has grown a year that's right. in the last six months. That's right. For that's, example, that's right. to and be I, able to say that yes. to a kid, they're yeah. thrilled. Because they're starting to move. Yeah. I had this one boy who came to me, he was, uh, geez, year seven, and I plotted it on a graph and I said, mate, this is what your primary school's been like. This is the flat line. Mm. Look what's happened in the last six months. Yep. Right? You just show it to them. Yes, yeah. Progress breeds motivation, you know, yeah. success builds success. But yeah. yeah. It is a little bit more complicated, isn't it? Yeah. Than just saying level one, level two, level three. There's yes. something very, uh, what's the word when something's nice? <laughs> like oh, yeah. Seductive. It's, seductive. it's very it's seductive to yeah. just say, oh, I've gone from level one to level two. Yeah, it's can, very gratifying. Yeah, yeah. it is, isn't yeah. it? It's so easy to understand. It sounds so impressive. Sounds more impressive. Up. Yeah. That's right. Like sounds more impressive than, you know, you've gone from 25th percentile to 27th percentile. <laughs> and who says science isn't sexy? Well, that's, that is, you're right, that yeah. is less sexy than uh, you've just gone from level mm to level mm. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You're 10 and now you're reading like a six-year-old instead of a five-year-old is not as impressive as, hey, you've jumped two levels. But we all have to be smarter yeah. than this, don't we? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how have we gone, Michael? Oh, do, you think we've, do you think we've given... Enough of a background and a context to this to this change. I think so. I, well, I hope so. Yeah, because it's 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 a complicated thing. There's so much history that yes. you need to understand. Yes, and there's so much emotion involved in it. Of course, there is. You know, because these are our precious kids we're talking about here, yeah. and reading is so important, and it's very difficult emotionally to give up on 
a way of teaching that you really are invested in. You know, you really yeah. do believe from your own evidence that this works. And now someone's saying you need to change because yeah. science says this. That's right. That's a really hard mental shift. It is. And um, if you've been teaching this whole language balanced literacy way, you will you will rightly say, I have seen this work for mm. a, a majority of kids. Yep. But when we pull that apart and we realise it's 20% of kids who don't make adequate progress, roughly mm. speaking, yeah. we, we, we all agree that's not good enough. Yeah. So there's been an unconscious, there's been an unconscious unawareness of the fact we could mm. be doing so much better. Yeah. Or, or you could flip it on your head and say, if you were able to teach, if you were able to successfully teach kids using what we now know as a flawed method, mm. imagine how brilliant you'll be yeah. if you start teaching <laughs> using science and evidence. The possibilities. Like, yeah. You will go from being a great teacher to being an incredible teacher. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden you're actually teaching oh. the way we know people learn to read. Yeah. Rather than saying I've got to give up on something, you're not going to go backwards by taking no. this on, you're going to go forwards. And the bar has gone up so much, Michael. Mm. If I had a buck for every experienced early years primary teacher who has said to me, I never thought they could learn this fast. I never thought they would understand this as quickly. I hear this all the time. Mm. Um, Littleies are flooring their teachers, seasoned teachers who have taught many, many children with the progress and the speed mm -hmm. of this of this growth. It, it, yep. it is it is like a rebirth. Yeah. For, for for you know, and some people have left the profession based on it, Michael. Some yeah. people have said, "No, I believe this." Whole language balance. This is just another edu trend. This too yeah. will pass anyway. I'm tired. I'm out. Yeah. People have left schools because of it. Yeah. Teachers have moved on to other schools. It's a very just hot issue. It is a hot issue. Um, and it's and it's and you know, I can't stress enough how much it's not about criticism of individual teachers. No. But I, I think having a positive view of it to say, yeah, you're going to become a better teacher by doing this. Mm. And, you know, you were just saying how teachers have been amazed at the results they've got. Yeah. I see kids that are amazed by it. Yeah. So I yeah. sit with a kid and I show them something, say, like an open syllable or a closed syllable. Yeah. And the kid, like, goes, why hasn't anyone ever told me this before? Oh, yes. And no one's explained why it's table and not table. They have a revelation <laughs> yeah. that is a genuine, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Sudden, you see the whole world of reading unravel for them, and they go, "Ah, oh, this isn't completely <laughs> random." Yeah. I, and yeah. I have those, you know, there are moments you can kind of predict that that's going to happen you do during the program. Yeah. You know, you can see with open and closed syllables is that first like magical moment of like, "Oh my god, yes, this is how it works." Yes, when you introduce suffix, and kids go, "Ah." Oh, it's a part of the word <laughs> yeah. and it does this job. And teachers go, oh, now I can actually explain yeah. this. I don't just have to say, well, want and washing and swan and was and wasp are weird words. I can say to them, if you put an A after a W, the vast majority of times it's going to say the ot sound. Hmm. This isn't random. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so it's, it's both sides of the fence. It is. Get a positive result from it like a big positive result a huge like positive result. a life-changing result yes i see for kids yeah 
from something as simple as teaching them a spelling rule. Yep. And they go, ah, oh, <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> oh, I, I, see, I see groups of adults this, this, this delighted yeah. when I teach them some of this stuff. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or I say, why, why did you put a K there and not a C? And the kid goes, because it's before an E. And they go, hey, I did it. Like, I know how to do this. I had a kid just the other day do something like that and they said to me, how did I know, how did I know to just do that? Yeah. I think it might have been K in front of me. Mm. And I said, because you've automatised it. Mm. All that hard work, you have, you've locked it in yeah. and that's what we're doing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all positive. Yeah. You know, this is the message I'd like to get across yes. is- I see so much online mm. of people just attacking each other. Yes. It is turned into an us and them. Oh, it's, we've uh, gone tribal. You know, yeah. It's gone tribal. And it's become personal attacks. Yeah. It's become, you know, labelling people on both sides as dumb or yeah. stupid yeah. or, you know, yeah. there's no hope for you because you're stuck oh, in this ideology. It's you such know good I mean? fun, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but it's not helpful, you're right. But it's not helpful no. and it just makes it it just makes the change we need harder. Yeah. Because when people go to their corners, they shut their ears. Mm, yeah. And they hold their hands over their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. It's um look, it's been called the reading wars mm. for a very good reason, what we're talking about. Yeah. And there's been people have, have rightly said we need to end this. Um, but we also have to be really, really clear and candid mm. about what way of teaching gets the best results. There's also been these straw man arguments. People on the whole language, look, hang on, let's, let's be careful because I'm tribalising again. Mm. We all want kids to learn to read and everyone, no matter where they sit on this, they all agree we want kids to learn to read as well as they can, as quickly as they can and spell as well. Yep. We need to automatise all these processes as quickly as we can so the kids then have room for the higher order stuff. Yep. So we're all on the same page there, um, but, yeah, we've poked fun at each other. Um, people who, who are critics of synthetic phonics say this is boring, this is, this is denying kids uh, exposure to, to rich literature mm. and we're just making phonics robots. And the, yep. and the phonics side have said, well, you guys just think about higher level stuff uh, but willingly and knowingly leave all these kids behind, which isn't the case. But mm. yes, there's been there have been many shots fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. continuing yeah. to be, but yeah, but we are making progress. We're getting there. Um, South Australia introducing the phonics check was huge. It was a big moment, big moment for us here in South Australia. Yeah, big moment for the country. I'd argue we covered that with Dr. Sandra mm. Marshall yep. in the last podcast. But yeah, so so we've got the phonics check. The uh, running records are gone. They are they are going and gone, and it's and it's not before time. Yep, and yeah. we are right here on the verge of the new old revolu <laughs> revolution yeah, well of teaching reading. That's right. The um <laughs> the stuff that the baby did get throw, thrown out with the bathwater. Yeah. Alison Clark puts it beautifully. Um, phonics went out with the cane and milk at recess time. I'm not sure she said the milk. <laughs> but yes, uh, in order to be progressive, and I'm doing air quotes. Mm. Yeah, phonics was one of those things that was jettisoned mm. as old hat. Yes, but we welcome it back with open arms. We do both kids and teachers. Yes, and. It's a bright future, I think. Oh, yeah. We, and schools are seeing the results yep. right now, Michael. Yes. Yeah. So we just have to all 
just kind of put up with this transition pain. Change is always difficult and stressful oh, yeah, and always makes people anxious, yes. you know, me included. And angry and yeah. ashamed. Yes. And, yeah. So we just have to kind of fight through that knowing that it's for a greater good. Yeah. I think that's what really well put. Mm. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Michael. And thank you to everybody out there who's joined us today. Remember, you can visit discastia.com to get all the show notes and links to the resources and videos that we've mentioned in the episode. And you can subscribe to get notified whenever we release new episodes. 